This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Off the Looking Glass. I'm Kate Fagan. I'm Jessica Smetana. It is a very special episode, an episode of, like, what, how long has Off the Looking Glass been around? Almost two years? Two years? Two years in the making, this episode. Yes. Whew. Jess, we, we had pinned this episode to the WNBA All-Star game, and so it's been like three, four months where we've been pointing toward this day that it would make sense to run kind of a broader piece on mm-hmm. a long-standing theme of Off the Looking Glass. I feel like as a Notre Dame person, you should kind of give people the quick synopsis of this theory. Yeah, well, if you've been listening to the show since its inception, you might remember something that Kate brought up in our very first episode of Off the Looking Glass called No Crying. Whoa! Those noises felt completely different than, and, and, and that travel felt different. It didn't feel like we were going down so much as back. Kate, I just looked out my window and everyone's wearing masks and you need a COVID test to travel into the United States and you're in a different room and I'm back in New York. What's going on? I think it's 2021. And we just time traveled? That's a yes. first for Off the Looking Glass, I think. Oh, well, we should make the most of it while we're here. Yeah, let's listen back to No Crying and hear the inception of this episode's idea. Okay, so my perspective on Yukon is less an accusation against Yukon and more of an invitation to think bigger about the world and the water in which Yukon swims. So the first point, that I want to make about this Yukon topic is that Yukon can only exist in women's basketball. There is no way that a Yukon and a powerhouse and a monopoly could exist on the men's side of college basketball because there's so many more media outlets paying attention. There's so many more places where spotlights exist. In fact, a spotlight for a great men's basketball player will roam. It will follow you wherever you are. So you could be a great player coming out of Iowa and you could say, you know what? I'm going to Duquesne because I don't need to go to Kentucky. I don't need to go to UCLA. I can just make Duquesne great. And you can know that you can, the spotlight will find you and that eventually you'll transition to the NBA and you will have the generational inheritance of great contracts and media attention in the NBA. So you can make that kind of decision in women's college basketball. If you're a great player, You know you have essentially one option. Yes, you could go to South Carolina now. Maybe you go to Tennessee, Stanford. But if you want to be absolutely guaranteed that you get bang for your buck and that you're a great player and you want those four years of media attention, spotlight, you have to go to UConn. This is the rule of one in that in the world we live in, we are often just allowed to 
have one woman stand in to point to, to say, well, of course there's not misogyny here. So it's like, oh yeah, well, we have Serena Williams. Oh yeah, we have Ronda Rousey. Oh yeah, we love UConn. Therefore, ergo, we don't have a problem here. And I feel like UConn fits into that. Again, not an accusation against UConn, but just an acknowledgement of the water in which it swims. And then the second point that I want to make about UConn is that the role of ESPN often gets under-discussed. The fact that Bristol is just down the road from Storrs, Connecticut, and that back in the 80s, Gino Ariema, who happens to be a straight white dude, was able to speak the language and be at the table, like in Hamilton, like be in the room where it happens. Like, here's a guy who can speak the language of middle management at ESPN, and ESPN people can fall in love with the UConn story, and then UConn being great in 95 begets a kind of media coverage that wouldn't have happened if some other program had been great because we were actually in that Connecticut little bubble. So I think it's worth on this podcast, this concept of does UConn have outsized influence? And this is not a conversation of is UConn bad for women's basketball? It's it's like what actual in the world of women's college basketball where there's fewer media watchdogs, what kind of outsized influence does UConn have? UConn privilege. That's a thing, Jess. I like this. I think we should we should definitely investigate this further on the show. Do you think that, I, I guess the first step, considering um, I went to not UConn. Did you go, where did you go? Did you go to not UConn? I went to not UConn also. I went to Notre Dame. And so UConn. No, it's just not UConn. This is very much like in a league of their own when Dottie's parents are introducing, this is our daughter Dottie and this is our other daughter, Dottie's sister. You have played at not UConn. Wherever it is that you have played, let us just first identify that it was not right. UConn. And actually, as a follow-up, since you went to not UConn, did you play UConn while you were at not UConn? Oh, you didn't play UConn while you were at not UConn. So you were toiling away in obscurity at not UConn. Okay, got it, got it. All right. So, so putting your cards on the table as a possible bias that you might have in this conversation. I am, UConn, I am the most biased okay. anti-UConn person in the world. That's probably not true because I'm talking to you right now, but I'm I'm pretty <laughs> biased, Kate. I I do not like UConn. They are a, definitely a top rival for me in sports. D- Jess, I'm not biased. I'm just a passionate journalist who wants to get to the answer. Okay? There's the truth. That's what I'm here for, just chasing down the truth. All right. Now that we have that foundation, this shared foundation for this episode, let's move forward in time. All right. Do let's that? do it. Yeah. So now that everyone has reacclimated themselves with the origins of Yukon privilege, Kate Fagan's pet theory that when it is agreed upon by guests I agree with, and when Brianna Stewart tells us that's stupid, I disagree with. So much integrity. Yeah, I have a lot of integrity. We decided a while ago, years ago, yeah. let's see if we can back this up with any sort of data. So mm-hmm. Kate and I got Tom Haberstroh involved. He works at Metal Arc Media. He is a co-host of Basketball Illuminati, and he's a big like NBA stat guy. He knows numbers and analytics better than Kate and I probably do. And he got two more people involved who he will soon introduce to help us see if we could definitively see if there was any empirical data to back up Yukon mm-hmm. privilege in the media coverage of college basketball. This isn't like if UConn's good or not, if they're the best team of all time or not. This is just a thing that we decided we could figure out a way if we could find a bias in the coverage of UConn women's basketball over the last, I think we decided like seven or eight years since their yeah. last national title. 
that was a perfect setup for this, Jess. But just one last thing before we hand it over to Tom is, as you and I have texted about, I have some trepidation about mm-hmm. trying to prove Yukon bias in the media because it is both a serious theory that we have, but also almost unprovable, except we're going to take a crack at proving it. We're towing the line here. We are on the balance beam. We are straddling both seriousness and tongue in cheek. And I feel like explicitly saying that is important when you are going to wander into Yukon fandom. Oh, that is true. Because Kate, as you and I remember, we will not time travel back to show our current audience this, but we got a lot of pushback from Yukon fans when the Yukon privilege theory was first announced mm-hmm. to the world on this podcast. So we don't want Yukon fans to be pissed off at us because really this isn't a problem with Yukon fans, with Yukon as a team, with Gino mm-hmm. Ariema as a coach. This is a media checking the box problem. Yep. So I want to reiterate that. We also know that the method that we chose to determine whether or not Yukon privilege exists isn't perfect. Mm-hmm. If you want to tweet at us, ways that you think we could further analyze this study the next time, please do. If you have ideas, theories, tips, anything, let us know. I do want to state this at the top because, Kate, we don't yet know the result of these findings. If we discover that Yukon privilege is in fact a thing that we found through this study, I would like everyone to know that that is legit and it is true and it is real. And if we decide we're not sure, this was all a big joke. So let's just say that and let's throw it to Tom Haberstrom. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Tom Haberstroh here, co-host of the Basketball Illuminati podcast, which you can find here on the Levitard and Friends podcast network. And I am a self-proclaimed data nerd. So when Kate and Jessica were looking to verify the so-called UConn privilege, I knew just who to call. Jess Camarda and Caitlin Clendenin. Two college hoopers who just so happen to be data crunchers like me. So a while back, while season one of Awful Looking Glass was airing, both of them had just reached out to me asking if I needed any help with basketball analytics. 
And they were experts in both fields. After balling out at Adelphi University as one of the top three-point shooters in her conference, Jess was wrapping up her master's degree in data science at Seton Hall, while Caitlin was finishing up her senior season at Carnegie Mellon as a double-double machine on the court. And her major, well, of course, she was a double major in statistics and policy management. So with their data degrees in hand, I sent off the bat signal to off the looking glass. And here we are. And here's the project. Could we track whether the media gives more love to UConn on social media compared to their peers? Are they mentioned more than, say, South Carolina? Yeah, we knew UConn women were good. Deckers will fire and hit. But so is Baylor and Stanford and Louisville, and the list goes on and on. If media bias did exist, we'd probably see it on their Twitter feeds. So Jess and Caitlin, they got out their calculators, they put on their glasses, and they went to work. They sifted through thousands and thousands of tweets using a programming language called Python, scraping the Twitter feeds of ESPN, ESPNW, March Madness Women's Basketball, Overtime, Slam, and yeah, NCAA too. They looked at the past six seasons, beginning in 2015-16, and presented us with their findings. And what did they discover? Well, let me pass the rock. So my name is Jess. I played basketball at Adelphi. I have my undergrad in math and then my master's in data science from Seton Hall. And I'm Caitlin. I played basketball at Carnegie Mellon University and studied statistics. So let's start at going into this project when you were asked to come up with a way to quantify if UConn privilege was a thing. Having been in the sports world, Jess, we'll start with you. What was your perspective on whether you thought UConn privilege going into it was actually existed? Being from Connecticut, there's definitely a UConn bias just off the bat, but I would say that nationwide or basketball-wide, women's basketball-wide, I would say that there is definitely a bias just because UConn has been very good for so long. Tarazi ahead to Bird. Beautiful pass and a great job by Bird to run the court. But there are definitely teams that are starting to like even out, if not surpass. For me, I would say I was a basketball fan my whole life and grew up watching women's basketball and definitely started to notice that there was a pattern in terms of who was being represented across social media platforms, what games were being broadcasted. And I would definitely say going into the project, I believe that there was a Yukon bias. So we picked two people who already have preconceived bias. <laughs> Kate, I don't know if that bodes well for us yeah. or not. But we are going to have to do an assessment on whether our Yukon bias has a bias. <laughs> Let's start with what variables did you guys look at? And like, what was the scope of, of all of the different accounts and stuff that you were following and tracking? So what we did is we grabbed all the tweets from the following six accounts, ESPN, ESPNW, March Madness Women's Basketball, Overtime, Slam, and NCAA, starting in 2016. And we basically counted up how many times each of the schools that we decided upon with U2, how many times they were mentioned in those tweets during the time period. The main variable was just total number of tweets 
where those schools were mentioned. We created an algorithm that then like took keywords such as when we were looking up Baylor, we used Baylor WBB at Baylor WBB and just like all lowercase. And that took any tweets that had those keywords in it. And we were able to just count how many tweets per team. So we did that through the more popular teams or like the higher ranking teams of women's basketball. So the UConn women's basketball, South Carolina, Stanford, Baylor, Louisville, NC State, Notre Dame, Duke men's and and Kentucky men's. As you all kind of like best remember the whole process of like building an algorithm and then determining what parameters you were going to put into it? Like what was your initial kind of assessment of the data as it was coming in before we then try to like continue refining it? The first return on data showed that UConn was consistently being tweeted about the most. However, when we first presented that to you guys, there was an issue that we noticed. There were fewer tweets overall being put out by these accounts, which kind of probes the question of why, why is that happening? Um, So we did some analysis on how much people are using Twitter now compared to the first season that we looked at. And we were able to see that the number of total tweets across the app coming from those usernames was actually just decreasing over time, which aligned with the fact that there's a lot of data online that we easily found a chart to represent. But the number of Twitter users has kind of plateaued over those years and fewer people are joining Twitter, using Twitter as frequently as they were in 2015 through 2016, because other social media apps seem to be becoming more popular. Have you shared that with Elon Musk? No. (laughs) Why did you hone in on Twitter as a way to be able to answer this question? We felt that the media in general is just like where you can definitely see the bias and where we can like quantify that bias. So a place like Twitter or Instagram, I mean, we could have used Instagram, but because Twitter is a little bit more text-based, we're able to just easily scrape that data and able to just quantify that bias via tweets. Okay. How would you like using non, well, you can use data words if you want, but like, what did this data tell you about the existence or non-existence of Yukon bias? So basically that like in the earlier years, so we started in 2015, like the 2015-16 season that like in the earlier years, there was definitely more tweets about Yukon. And it was like super heavy. There's a super heavy bias. Even on the initial when our data wasn't like fully refined, you can even tell off of that. But once we refined the data, we were able to just like get a more accurate number of like the tweet count. But still over time, there's been less Yukon tweets and it's been kind of evening out. But definitely in like the beginning years, it was like a, there was a straight bias. So there started out with a lot of Yukon tweets and then Twitter users plateaued and the amount of Yukon tweets kind of went down, you're saying. Is there any way to be able to tell how much of the large amount of Yukon tweets at the beginning is just attributable to them being a national championship winning team at that point or or recently off of a national championship? Yeah, so we thought about that question a lot in our analysis. And in order to answer the question, we looked at win percentages of all the teams that we were looking for in the tweets. And we found that the relationship between 
win percentage and total tweets had a 70% R square, which just means that 70% of the variance in the total tweets is accounted for by a team's win percentage. So that means that 70% of these tweets, the reason that they're being tweeted is because of this team's win percentage, but there's still 30% of that variance that is not being accounted for. So we thought about what else could be that 30%. Could it be how much people like the coach? Could it be distance to the ESPN headquarters? We didn't go far enough to look at that, but but we're pretty convinced that the other 30% can be attributed to that UConn bias. Okay, so just for the kind of layman data person out there, what you're saying is is that 70% of UConn's tweets are accounted for, and every team's tweets are accounted for by win percentage. And then how much they're tweeted on past that is a kind of variables that we can't name. Obviously, if you wanted to dig deeper, you could probably go farther and try to name some of those variables. But in UConn's case, maybe it's proximity to ESPN. Maybe it's longevity of Gino as head coach. In the same way that maybe some of Baylor's tweets before Kim Mulkey left for LSU were because she was really dynamic in all of the ways. And you could go on down the line. Like maybe Louisville got tweeted at a little bit more because people knew Haley Van Lith. Is that basically what you're saying? Yeah. Are there any numbers you can share? Like whichever one you think makes the point the best about what you found? Yeah. If we're comparing UConn and Baylor, Baylor's win percentage is... 93.3% and UConn's win percentage is 93.5%. And if you're comparing their tweets, UConn has like a little over a thousand tweets and Baylor has a little over 500 tweets. So that difference in tweets just goes to show that that 30% is telling on where that bias lies. And when you say their win percentage, you mean from 2015 onward, not like the history of the program, just this section of time you're looking at. Based on 2015 to the current, yeah, that was the only time period that we had looked at. Okay. Were there any years that stuck out where you could give us numbers and teams next to each other and compare and contrast how many UConn got versus the national championship versus like another top program? Yeah, there are a lot of years. I would say the biggest one that stood out to me, well, there's a couple, but in 2018, for example, Notre Dame won the national championship, and yet they were tweeted about half the number of times as UConn by ESPNW, with Notre Dame coming in at 45 tweets and UConn with 98. I mean, that right there, Kate, I can't think of anything that would rile yeah, me up more. It really crystallizes. We should have like Muffet McGraw on and see what she thinks about this. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> I think there's such a bias in the media that they just go that way. And UConn has done great things and they've won way more than anybody else except Tennessee. But I think it goes over the top with ESPN. I think they it's that is Connecticut's network. And that is absolutely complete bias there. Yeah. I mean, that was the year that Arike Gumbawale hit two three-point shots in the final four and in the championship to win the national championship. And yet still... Mm-mm. They didn't make up for any of those, that yep. disparity there. It's crazy. Wasn't exciting enough to be tweeting about from the ESPN account, I guess. Yeah. The prior year, South Carolina. ESPNW tweeted about UConn 150 times and tweeted about South Carolina 72 times. So my belief that ESPNW is also a culprit in the UConn bias has been proven accurate. 
ESPNW loves UConn as well. Did you say you also had another year? Four out of the seven seasons we looked at, UConn had the highest number of tweets and they only won one championship out of those seven years. In 2020 to 2021, they lost in the final four and Stanford was the national championship. And guess how many more tweets Stanford had than UConn? Only 15. (laughs) We also looked at which accounts since 2015, which accounts tweeted the coaches like Gino Oriyama, Don Staley, and Kim Mulkey. And over the years, we found that Gino was tweeted about 177 times. Don Staley was tweeted about 145 times. And Kim Mulkey was tweeted about 45 times. This wasn't really shocking, just based on Gino being a well-known coach for a longer period of time. What were your concluding thoughts when you sit back and look at all the data and all the tweets that you were able to find where does this leave you looking back on this project in the beginning i definitely came into this thinking there was yukon bias just based on the fact that i am from yukon there's a ton of yukon stuff going on i feel that yukon has always been really good but i think that there are other teams that are that are on the up and up right now and i think that yukon is still shining in that light where we need to give other teams a chance but on the takeaway there definitely is more UConn tweets than any other team. My takeaway from this project was that I wanted to know more about this topic. I wanted to look at more teams. I wanted to look at more coaches and compare what actually is happening here. I thought about maybe doing this with WNBA players, seeing if there's a bias towards certain teams in the WNBA. The takeaway was that I think that there's a bias in the media towards UConn and that it comes as a result of a lack of space for women's basketball in general, and then that space being filled with the easiest story, which in many cases is UConn. Am I gonna get hate mail? For real? We should leave that in. (laughs) Wait, can we leave that in actually? Yeah, this is right. Yeah, you can leave that in. You're a proud parent. Your child is an exceptional athlete with a promising career ahead. You've worked so hard to get your kid to this level, and their talents are completely out of your hands. But now, you've become totally unrelatable to your friends and close neighbors. You recite their stats to any poor somebody that will listen. You've been kicked out of book clubs, avoided at hardware stores, and no one invites you to parties anymore. Sounds like you need the brag hotline. The Bragg Hotline is a toll-free number that you can call anytime, day or night, and just let it all out. Our professional listeners are standing by and ready to pretend they're excited to hear about exactly how many rebounds your daughter grabbed in the second half of Saturday's game. Yeah, this was Kara's first game back after ACL surgery, you know, Uh where she scored four four goals, assisted two, had, I think it was a pass rate of like 90 90.1%. 90.1%. Oh, wow. Sure. Yeah. And signed the game ball and gave it to the little girl in the stands who was raising awareness for uh, endangered meerkats. Amazing. <laughs> she was playing field hockey the other day. Okay. And the coach said, Kara, Kara, come here. Mm-hmm. I could hear it because I was close. Sure. Yeah. And the coach was saying, you got to take it easy out there. And I stood up what? and I said, whoa, 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 whoa. 
Kara is going to score if she needs to. Right. And we don't believe in pulling back the reins until the game is over. I've told Kara that. Yeah. It's on it's on the garage yeah. wall. And okay. I said, Coach, let her go out there. It's field hockey. She needs right. to clack sticks and get to. more points. Right. And so she did. Oh, amazing. Bragg Hotline doesn't have a time limit, so go on, Mom. Exhaust our operators with your endless list of proud moments. Derek wasn't expected to be a playmaker this season, but Mm -hmm. turns out he is. Mm -hmm. He really is. Okay, that's cool. It really puts him in a great position for next year, you know. Coach said scouts are already calling from so many prestigious schools. Absolutely. Academically and sportly. Uh One of them has even offered him a Tesla. Wow. They're electric, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know them well. I mean, we kind of knew he was going places from the start. Would you like to hear some of his stats from Pee Wee Leagues? Ma'am, I am financially obligated to say yes. So save your friends and neighbors the stat onslaught and call the Bragg hotline. You'll feel better for getting it off your chest, and your community will stop ducking behind newspapers and small shrubs to avoid your small talk. Congrats again, by the way. You must be very proud. Well, Kate, I'm not sure if I still understand that number thing that we asked them to explain to us a few times, but I think we can safely say we learned something from this adventure and this study into Yukon Privilege on Twitter. Well, we learned a lot about how to do studies as well, and words like noise, which I think a lot of data analysts understand, but we needed clarification for, and we had fun. And hopefully, most importantly, listening back to it, it was enjoyable for our listeners. And it seemed like Jess and Caitlin, one, became friends through doing this study. Two, kind of agree with us, although also are admitting some fear to tell people. (laughs) We're all afraid. That they think UConn privilege and UConn media bias is a thing. And listen, I don't know that there would be better methodology to prove this very nebulous idea. This seemed like the best way to go and also the most efficient way to analyze it. So maybe it made some folks think a little differently about about UConn. Maybe UConn privilege was the friends we made along the way. (laughs) Journey and destination, always. I think maybe like... One thing to consider now if we are to follow up on this study, because that's what scientists do, right? They're like, how do we make this better for the next time? Yeah. How do we hone this thing in? Twitter might not exist in two years when we do our next Yukon privilege study. So maybe now we try to tackle Instagram. What's going yeah. on on Instagram? I think, Kate, also a fun thing that happened in the midst of all of this was that Yukon missed the final four for the first time in over a decade. And we had one of the most watched women's national championship games of all time in basketball. And UConn was nowhere to be found. And those are things that we hadn't foreseen. Yes. And if we were to do this again, I'm betting Iowa and Caitlin Clark and Kim Mulkey and Angel Reese are going to get probably got more tweets combined in the last six months than a lot of the other teams that won championships in the last five years. So as women's basketball gets more and more popular, maybe our angle on this changes a little bit. Yeah. But I think it's safe to say, like, they got a lot of tweets. Whatever that means, they got a lot of them. More tweets than their wins indicated they should get 
is my takeaway. And mm-hmm. I think, of course, in doing this and in talking about this, the whole point is to try to, to end it, to balance the scales in talking about it, naming it. And maybe like you said with Iowa and everything moving forward, like it's going to iron itself out just in time. But they certainly need some smart analytic folks or maybe podcasters along the way to move us to the future that... Jess and Caitlin. Yes. Yeah. That we all Or Jess and Kate. Jess and Kate and Jess and Caitlin. I think it's like a dynamic duo that has helped move us toward the future. I think my takeaway on all of this, Kate, whether or not you can definitively prove UConn bias and media privilege for UConn or not, I think my biggest lesson over the last two years working on this show with you is that there's a really lazy way to do coverage of women's sports. And then there's a really interesting and smart way to do it. And you've showed me that the most interesting and smart stories aren't always the ones that everyone can just say off the top of their heads. And that's, I think, something that we've tried to do on this show. And I'm not accusing of other outlets of not doing that. But I think that as the sport becomes more popular, hopefully more interesting and in-depth and enlightening coverage happens versus just rehashing the same old storylines that we've had in men's sports for the last 100 years. I really can't top that. And it included a compliment to me. So I think we should just like, (laughs) I think we should just wrap up the show with our credits at this point. Jess, co-host and producer of Off the Looking Glass. Anya Alvarez, producer of Off the Looking Glass, nameless numberhead, comedy team, Henry and Mari, behind the Bragg hotline. Who else we got? Kate Fagan, host and the founder of the Yukon Privilege Theory. <laughs> oh, God, do I want it that? It will be on a Wikipedia page one day, and you are the founder of it. You have created, in the way that Sir Isaac Newton has found metaphysical and mathematical Yeah, yeah, uh, go things. for it. Yeah. Were you worried for a second that you didn't know what Newton found? Mm. Because I was really like, was he the gravity guy? Was he? Uh, but yeah. yeah, I mean, principles and physics, like it's on his wiki page. This will be on yours. Okay. And it's your legacy to sports media. But thank you really, Kate, for the idea and Jess and Caitlin for putting in months of hard work. Yes. And dealing with Twitter's tediousness and mm. probably... Looking at a spreadsheet, yeah, hours on it, and that's so why we we're on blue sky that. now, right, Jess? That's why we've migrated. And the sky's always bluer on the other new social media <laughs> app before the next one comes along. That's right. That's what they say. Yeah. And thanks also to Carl Scott, who executive produces the show, and Joel Shupak, who sound designs off the Looking Glass. Remember, folks, Yukon privilege—it's real unless you don't believe that it is, and that it's not. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.